Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. The following message is part of our series called The Jesus Agenda, where we are looking at not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm, uh, it is a, we're in the, a series called The Jesus Agenda. The Jesus Agenda, and we've been terming it of what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Today and next week, I'm going to change that to what did Jesus say? Because the Bible is littered with stuff Jesus said. And let me give you a little hint for next week. You're all coming to the, uh, the service at night time. Let me give you a little plug for the nighttime service. We've got two gentlemen who are going to share very challenging situations in their lives. And we're going to let the Holy Spirit breathe a little bit next Sunday night. We're in the next room next door. But we're going to let the Holy Spirit breathe a little bit. And we're going to allow space for prayer. We're going to allow space for worship. I'm going to throw in the words. We're going to allow people to feel like they can soak in the word. And, and there will be people, because I've been there, there will be people who will be feeling a little bit anxious about that. Because what we've done is we've created this thing with the Holy Spirit where we, we, we put Holy Spirit and weird together. We put Holy Spirit and the word supernatural together. It is supernatural, but what we've done is because of the, the TV shows and the books and stuff that we read now, we equate that with the supernatural. Can I tell you what is weird? For our unchurched brethren, can I tell you what is weird? The fact is that we sing Jesus only you. Jesus was born to a teenage virgin. That's weird. Yeah? Jesus walked on water in the Sea of Galilee. That's weird. Jesus turned water into wine. That's not weird. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Jesus, at the age of 33, after three years of ministry, and what we read about in the Bible is actually about five days' worth of his ministry, if you put it together was crucified on a cross for crimes he didn't commit and then rose again three days later. That's weird. But at Christmas time and Easter, we celebrate the fact that he was born of a virgin birth and, and at Easter time, we celebrate the fact of, that he died on a cross and rose again. And our unchurched brethren actually follow it with us. So we celebrate that, but then we think that the Holy Spirit's weird When Christ rose again, he said, I send one that will take you further than I ever could. The Holy Spirit is not weird. It's what we've done as humans and what the world has done with it that makes it weird. The Holy Spirit is in each and every person. It's about us receiving that and utilizing that and moving with that. I've shared before, we preached a series on the Holy Spirit. I grew up. And my best understanding was that I drive a car from A to B. You need petrol to drive a car from A to B. I can get there from A to B. But there was a turbo button on the side and it said, Holy Spirit. And I kind of felt like I don't need that because I can just get from A to B. Well, well it's not about turning a button on and off. It, it's, it's, it's in your fuel all the time. It's just about using it though. So let me encourage you. 
If you've got questions about it, ask your connect group leader. If you're not in a connect group, get in a connect group. Come next Sunday night. Let's hear the story of supernatural healings physically, supernatural healings from a young man. Where is he? Tyrone. Stand up, mate. This gentleman here is going to share one of the most challenging stories that you could probably hear next Sunday night. Thank you, Tyrone, for being brave enough to do that. Thank you. All right, I've got four and a half minutes to get through a message. Four and a half minutes. It's going to go turbo. It's going to go turbo. All right. Uh, I've titled this message, Don't Tell Anyone. Don't Tell Anyone. I'm going, to, um, I'm going to go straight to my first scripture. Who's back there? Zach. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus and the disciples, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Yes, I write like a doctor. I did 20 years in the health game. In this passage, the disciples had been walking for over 25 miles on hot roads in their sandals to a place just outside of Caesarea. They finally stopped for a rest. I reckon Jesus kept them moving, didn't he, when he was walking? They finally stopped for a rest. They're sitting in a circle under a tree. Well, it doesn't say that, but this is my interpretation. They're sitting in a circle under a tree, kind of eating berries together and having a bit of a laugh, probably sympathizing at the size of the blisters on their feet after walking all this way. When Jesus kind of breaks up the party a little bit and he poses a question, who do people say I am? Uh, Jesus, we've just, uh, we've just been walking for 25 miles. I'm hot. I just want to eat my berries, deal with my blisters. And you're asking me a question like this. Who do people say I am? Now, trying to get in the good books of the leader, as we always do, there was a myriad of responses that came. Some say John the Baptist. Others claim you're Elijah. Still, some say you're Jeremiah the weeping prophet. I'm not sure if that's a real compliment or not. And then others said again, well, you're one of the other prophets. Then they have that moment. I don't know about you, when you're sitting around in a circle, then they have this moment where there's this silence and they kind of think to themselves, oh dear, what did I just say? Do you ever have those moments? Sitting around and you've, you've, you've questions been posed, you give an answer, you bravely put up your hand, you go, oh dear, why did I open my mouth? Because very calmly, Jesus asks a follow-up question and says, but who do you say I am? Not what do others say, who do you say I am? Now, the best part of a group setting is that there's always the Hank Petrusma or someone there who's got, you know, the leader of the group. Actually, it's probably me. There's always someone who's the loudmouth. Yeah? 
I was going to think it is. There's always me. There's always me. There's always someone. And in this case, it's Peter. Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. The rest of the disciples sort of, you know, wipe their sweat from their brow thinking, thanks, Peter. You've done it. We can rest. We can go back to what we're doing. When Jesus says this in response, don't tell anyone. Now, is this a little bit odd? Is this a little bit odd to anybody else? We've just said that you're the king, the Messiah, the the son of the living God, and Jesus says, don't tell anybody. I've got three observations that kind of intertwine into this. The first one is this, is Jesus desired obedience, not fame. Oh, these are going to be big words. Obedience, not fame. The first observation I have is that Jesus desired obedience, not fame. As you read the scriptures, you'll notice that Jesus spent huge chunks of his time with the marginalized. He spent time with the blind beggars and the lame. He wasn't afraid to sit alongside the lepers. He, he, He didn't hide the fact that he went out to dinner with the tax collectors. In fact, one of my favorite passages is in John chapter 4, where we read where Jesus ends up at the well with the Samaritan woman, and, and this woman had a bit of a reputation around town, and I love the part when the disciples get back from town, they've been in getting some McDonald's, when they get back from town, they say to Jesus, what are you doing with her? What, you know, that's not good for your reputation here, Jesus. What are you doing hanging with her? How can we take a photo of you and put that one on Instagram? That's not going to look good. Can I tell you that Jesus is not interested in the headlines? We are a society that's stuck reading the headlines. I was, I was looking at something during the week. You know the, 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 the ticker things that come along the bottom of your, your internet page and stuff? Do you know how long we actually look at them for now? 0.8 of a second. We are that quick, we can look at the headline in 0.8 of a second and move on to the next one. Jesus was not interested in the headlines. He's interested in the story. Have you ever grabbed the newspaper? For those who still read the newspaper, I enjoy the newspaper. If there's a headline there that I don't like, I don't read the story. If there's a headline there that is sensationalized, I'll read the story. That's what journalism's all about. Jesus was not interested in the headline. He's interested in the fine print down below. Jesus is not interested in his own reputation or fame in this situation. He's interested in the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Do you know, since human existence we've been this way, we've had this look at me attitude. Go back to Goliath. What did he do for 40 days? Day and night. For 40 days he came to the front and said, look at me. I'm the biggest. I'm the strongest. And then he would go back again. It's the headlines, the headlines we're looking at. I'm not having a hit on social media. I use social media regularly. Yet how many times do we put photos of moments in our life that sucked? How many times do we put the really bad haircut on there and say, hi, this was me after a bad haircut? How many times do we put a photo of us coming last in a running race? Hi, this was me, I came last in a running race. What about this one? How many times do, church leaders, how many times do we put a 
a photo up of church service where no one turned up, which is probably good because the worship was out of tune, the sound was too loud, there was more announcements than ads on TV, and my preaching was pretty ordinary. We don't put those ones on social media, do we? We take a shot from behind people to make sure that it looks like it's completely full. We are a culture that is addicted to the headlines and the look at me approach. Yet, and Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, had every right to say, look at me. Yet Jesus said, don't look at me, follow me. Follow me. My second observation is this. Don't tell anyone because he understood the priority of the mission. Does that have another eye? I didn't go to university. My second observation is don't tell anyone because Jesus understood the priority of the mission. Listen to this. Next, next uh, passage, Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to 44. This is a cool passage. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, Jesus, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy left and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. And he said this, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have healed you of leprosy. This will be the public testimony that you have been cleaned. Verse 45, but the man, because we tend to do these things, decided not to listen to God and to do his own thing, and so he went and spread the word. Now listen what happens. Proclaiming to everyone what happened. You get healed, you kind of probably want to, don't you? Our reaction would be saying, I'm healed. I'm going to tell everyone. Jesus said to him, don't do it. There's a system in place where you can go to the, to the Levite priest. You can get healed. They'll let you back into the community. You can be part of that. So he said, don't do it. Because what happens is this. As a result, large crowds gather. So they soon surround Jesus. And as a result, he couldn't publicly enter a town anymore. And he had to stay out in the secluded places. Don't tell anyone because Jesus understood the priority of the mission. The culture of the day said that the man who had leprosy, who was healed, could go to the priest, declare he was clean, could go back into the community. Jesus understood this and he understood that if he goes around telling in everybody, his ministry actually will become ineffective because he was, couldn't even get into the towns and he was out in the secluded places. It'll all make sense in a minute. Jesus understood the priority of the mission. The man who was healed, I kind of have a little bit of sympathy for him. Yet he chose not to listen. He chose, or maybe he chose to listen, but he chose not to obey. I have sympathy. He's been healed of leprosy. But when God says, this is what I want you to do, then this is what we need to do. Not, yeah, thanks God for the healing, but I kind of want to do what I want to do. 
question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is, what things are we choosing to ignore? What areas of our life is God speaking to us, but we're choosing to pretend, sorry God, I didn't hear that one, I'm busy today. Or maybe we are listening, but the headlines look so much better if we do it our own way. The third point is this, and it's seen in scriptures over and over again, and it's best explained in a beautiful passage in John chapter 6, and it's this, don't tell anyone, make sure I can spell it, don't tell anyone, message, not the miracle. Jesus said, don't tell anyone because he wanted people to understand it's the message, not the miracle. And I say this one with a lot of caution because I have witnessed miracles. We did five years in the Middle East. I saw a lot of miracles happen. We saw healings, deliverance. We saw situations that could not be talked about and understood in the natural To give you some context of John chapter 6 is this. Leading up to this time, Jesus has blessed a few fish and loaves and he's fed 5,000 men and just as many uh, children and women. In verse 16 to 20, we read that Jesus has not only walked on water, it's a really cool passage. Jesus has walked on water, but we read in that passage, make sure you read every word of what's in there, because when we read that passage, Jesus walks on water. That's kind of a miracle in itself. But the, 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 the disciples had gone about three miles out into the, into the sea. And it was choppy. And it was windy. And they were getting nowhere. And it says the minute Jesus got in the boat, immediately they were at their destination. So the miracle there as well is the fact that the minute Jesus got in there, he took them to the place he wanted to be. So the the crowd have seen incredible miracles, feeding of 5,000, Jesus walking on water, a a boat transported directly to where God wanted them to be. Let me take it up from verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized that Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten, where the miracle had happened. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got in their boats, went across to Capernaum to look for him. Why? Because we're chasing the miracle. We're chasing the amazing. Do you know how many times it says in the Word of God that the people were amazed? 23 times in the Gospels. We're chasing the amazing all the time. Verse 25, they found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of approval. They replied back to him, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Of course we do. We all want to do the miracles. We all want to do the amazing. God says this. I love it. He says, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants you to do. Believe. Believe in the one who sent. That's what he said. We want the icing, but we forget about the cake. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Oh, yeah. Test God. That's a good one, isn't it? 
Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can, uh, what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna when they, while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them the manna from heaven. Jesus, I'm sure in a very calm voice, said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you the manna. My father did. You see, what ends up happening is we remember the miracles. Passed down from generations, they didn't remember the wilderness journey. Do you know what they talked about? The miracle that came from Moses. And the story got a little bit different. And the story left God out. So when we search for miracles, we often think that we did the miracles when when God did the amazing. So don't leave God out. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. Church, I want to say this. Jesus said, don't tell anyone. Because he didn't want people focusing on the miracles he performed. He wanted them to remember the message that he proclaimed. Jesus' most profound gift was not the miracle of physical bread that fed 5,000 but it was the bread of life that gave us eternal life. Let me say that again. The greatest gift God gave us was not the the, the physical bread that fed 5,000. That was a miracle for the time. The greatest gift that God gave us was Himself. The bread of life. Our society has been so caught up in looking for the miracle. Our society has been so caught up in looking for the amazing that we often forget the message. Luke 23, we read where even King Herod said this when Jesus was on trial before him. He said, I've heard about you and I was hoping to see some signs done by you. I pose the question, what are we doing with God in our lives? Are we living our everyday life and getting through? But then when we need a miracle, we say, hey, God, can you move on in here and fix this problem for me? But hang on, God, I'm doing okay for this week. So I'm okay. I'll just keep going along. But hang on, God, I need a miracle in this part of my life. I need the amazing to happen in this part of my life. So if you wouldn't mind intervening and doing the miracle in my life, church, God, Jesus said in this, don't forget the message. Don't forget the everyday life. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again in order that we may be saved. This is the irony for me. Because Jesus said three words, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. The three words now though, that were so important in my life, 
was obey. Go on the mission. And preach the word. You see, when Jesus said to them, don't tell anyone, he had not yet died on the cross. He had a work to do. When Christ died on the cross and rose again, he came back and just before he ascended to heaven, he said, go into all the nations. Go, obey me. Go into all the nations. This is the mission I have for you. Go into all the nations and preach the word of God. Not everybody will stand on a stage and preach like Kelly Dunn. But can I tell you, when you have accepted Christ into your life, you are a preaching machine in everything you do. You are a preaching machine in everything you do. It says that when you accept Christ into your life, He lives within you and you shine Him through you. The words went from don't tell anyone to obey. Go on the mission and preach the Word of God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord God, that you sent your Son to die on the cross for us. That after three days, He rose again. I thank you for that incredible miracle. But Lord God, I thank you for the message that you are the bread of life. I thank you for the mission that you have given us, which is people. And Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given the ability for each one of us to preach the Word of God through who we are, through the words we say, through the actions we do, through the non-actions that we don't do. Lord God, I thank you for that. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church, for each person sitting here, for the families that aren't here today. Lord God, I pray that we will receive this message as a church and that we will move forward, that we will obey your command on us, the vision on us to take ground, to empower people and to serve others and that we will go into the nations and that we will be your light shining bright. We thank you for this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If this message has impacted you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us at c3h.life.